This is Joe Basso with Music Radar, and I'm speaking with Billy Gibbons, guitarist, leader. You're a ZZ Top. How you doing, man? We are all about it today. Good to be with you. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, you are now embarking on this, what is it, 40-city tour of America with Aerosmith. How's it going so far? So far, so good. This number 40 uh, keeps bouncing back and forth. Uh, as you may know, ZZ Top is enjoying their fourth decade together. Oh, there you go. This marks the beginning of a very interesting combination, uh, having Aerosmith along for the ride and uh, getting to talk about things that just make a lot of sense both musically and, and personally. They're really, really, they're into it just like ZZ Top. It's really interesting. So far, how have the shows been going over? Well, we've had uh, two nights out together. Both have been very rewarding. Uh, I think as much goes on in the dressing rooms and backstage than uh, as the show progresses. And most what's uh, coming out on stage is a result of getting excited, talking to one another about all the things we like about music. <laughs> it's pretty cool. You have to expand on this. What do you mean? You talking to Joe Perry? Well, yeah, that goes without saying. Joe and I got together behind closed doors, and the first thing to come up was gear, gear, and more gear. <laughs> it seems like you can never have enough guitars, and uh, certainly that stimulates the conversation that could go on for hours, which it has so far. And what kind of set are you doing? Is it the greatest hits? Are you doing any new stuff? Well, the greatest hits is kind of a given for both camps. We uh, challenged each other to leave a couple of empty slots as the night progresses. Every band member gets a chance to uh, throw out a title that, that uh, really keeps you on your toes. Some of the stuff hasn't been played in quite some time. you got to do some fast, fast footwork to keep it going. <laughs> <laughs> Let me jump to something completely different and way back in the past but back in the day back when you were starting you are one of the few people the few guitar players to have come in contact with Jimi hendrix wow yes you were in a band called the moving sidewalks and jimmy called you one of the best young guitar players in america i think he said it on tv in fact oh we got to be close buddies he was uh well to use uh, that famous word the mentor, he was doing things on uh, the electric guitar that I'm not so sure the inventors of the uh, instrument uh, really had in mind. And uh, he, he, as the old saying goes, he turned it inside out and then back again. I was just fortunate enough to be uh, in his presence and walk the planet, you know, during the same time when uh, some of those great, great sounds, those unexpected sounds, that came forward couldn't have been done without him. He was uh, he was a very gifted guy and wasn't afraid to share it. It was really something. You were obviously a very young guy, but what kind of memories do you have of spending some time with him? What sticks with you? Well, not only was he, he was very much at ease uh, playing really straight ahead with a forcefulness that I, I think kind of marked everything the recordings has leave us with but he was also a very technically uh, interested guy in fact he was first in discovering that the his favorite guitar the fender stratocaster with uh, three pickups 
and they had a selector switch that had three positions. And very delicately, he would find between the designated positions, he would very carefully set the toggle knob between the two points so he turned a th- he turned a three position switch into offering five positions. Right, right. Now there again, uh, the designers didn't they didn't necessarily want it that way, but that's what Jimmy wanted, and he not only did he discover it, but he used it. <laughs> it was great. Bearing in mind that he called you one of the young great guitar players in America back in the day, who would you say are some of the best young guitar players right now? Well, since running around with Jimi Hendrix, as many would probably tend to agree, a lot has gone down the road and a lot has come down the road. There is more music today than probably ever. Sure. And uh, there's a little something for everybody. I've been fortunate enough to maintain friends with a lot of contemporary artists. Oh, some of my favorites, of course, from Texas, Eric Johnson, Mm -hmm. Jimmy Vaughn, was dear friends with the late Stevie Ray Vaughan, yeah. Van Wilkes, and then there's uh, some really interesting players, some of which, you know, Joe Bonamassa, oh, yeah. Steve Vai, Joe Satriani, the list can go on and on. Monty Montgomery is uh, finally uh, getting his due. He is a stellar player, just lightning fast. Sonny Landreth is quite the... Uh, gifted artist he does things with the slide bar i kind of side with the guys that are doing things that might not have been thought of before and then uh, david hidalgo and cesar rojas from los lobos another set of cornerstone guys that just do it right okay you named a lot of guys and they're all great bearing in mind that every guy has his own separate style his own unique perspective is there anybody that makes you sweat Anybody that really makes you go, God, man, I got a woodshed. I got to practice. Yeah. Well, Hendrix taught us the novelty and the economy of working in a trio, which in itself is Mm. somewhat challenging. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guys that make us sweat are the Black Keys coming from the Midwest. Those two fellows. And I'm going to ask you about (laughs) them. Okay, good. Yeah, those two fellows... get up there and that's about as spare as you could ask for <laughs> oh, yeah. we're jumping ahead but i was going to ask you about these guys you are said to be working with rick rubin on your next record and it's been also said that the black keys and i talked to dan our back you're going to be working on the new record are you guys collaborating with the black keys what's going on that is the big promise and we're both looking forward to it I was able to uh, catch their show in their home state of Ohio at the close of last summer. It was the the final night at a great outdoor venue, and the place was just jam-packed. It was just so energetic and lively. It was not our first meeting, however. I had been a fan for way, way back since their first record appeared, and, Mm -hmm. and... had such a profound impact on what I was listening to. They were doing it like I like to hear it anyway. Yes. In fact, I caught them one evening um, 
in a very small and intimate venue. It was Santa Fe, New Mexico. And then we saw him again in New York City in a really big room. And then, of course, this outdoor venue was 10,000 people scattered about the lawn. And in each setting, nothing was left to chance. They came out and delivered. And it was so interesting to be seeing only two guys, but having the effect of a full-fledged, it could have been five, six, eight guys. It was just remarkable. What have the discussions and or collaborations been like? Have you guys gotten that far on songs yet? Where is it right now? I think the common denominator that has allowed this to start making sense is both their outfit as well as ours still comes back to that great art form called the blues. They've made it no secret that that's been a big influence on what they've done so far. Of course, it's been the backbone of ZZ Top since day one. They also have a keen understanding of the complexities uh, within the art form. I mean, a lot of people say blues, oh, well, that's just three chords. But the sophistication that <laughs> you, you, you find when you really start digging into it, it's uh, a little deeper than um, just a one-sentence explanation. Even uh, some of my favorite records by Jimmy Reed, which, again, a trio. It was Eddie Taylor uh, backing up Jimmy Reed, two guitars and drums. You listen to those records and you say, gee whiz, I never knew there was never a bass guitar present. Right. Only on a rare few recordings do you have a bass guitar, but I would have never known it. goes the same with Bo Diddley, who had guitar. He had Jerome Green shaking maracas and Clifton James on drums. I mean, that's, there again, <laughs> talking about spare. It's been done before, so it can be done again, and hopefully when the opportunity arises, we will come back to those uh, humble roots that have been so inspirational. And how about the collaboration with Rick Rubin? What has that been like? Well, Rick's not only a great guy, but he's got a keen sense of melody. He's got a keen sense of magnetism. And he's got a magical ability to pull out the best in such a wide range of artists. It doesn't really matter. It, it appears it doesn't matter who he decides to work with, but his dedication has certainly proven to be a bonus for everybody. In the long run, the real winner is the listener. <laughs> right. He, he manages to do it so well. So we're probably looking at this record at 2010, I believe? Hopefully so. Uh, right now, as you pointed out, the main business at hand is uh, getting down the road and completing the ongoing tour. I believe the uh, next set of sessions are aimed at the end of the year, probably start in November, and it'll be uh, in New York, Los Angeles, or our studio in Houston, Texas. We'll just dig. We'll, we'll get in there and get the groove going. You've been known to buy a heck of a lot of guitars. <laughs> Do you ever sell any? Well, we haven't found need to. Uh, the, the funny thing is, despite the... Uh, overload in the vault each and every one of them they still get played they still have a very interesting draw in that in fact i was uh, speaking with joe perry about this mm -hmm. because joe too is an avid pursuer of 
the next uh, greatest guitar, and even something uh, that you may pick off the uh, shelf that came off the assembly line on the very same day, it's the very same model, they all have a peculiar characteristic that we call personality. And I guess it comes down to the fact that no two are alike because they all come from organic origins. No two trees grow alike. Right. <laughs> so it really gets, uh, it, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, some you may like better than others, but what we find is some you use for different things than others. They're all worthy. Now, you use a Mexican peso to pick with. We've been known to, yes. They're a little more difficult to get. The pesos that were minted back in the 50s, they had a distinctive weight. The uh, alloy was really conducive to creating a good sound. They were also large enough where they could be shaped into a more traditional-looking uh, guitar-picked form. Unlike the U.S. quarter, our our currency has a distinctively uh, serrated edge, yes, which is okay, but it tends to saw through the string and it'll cause breakage. The peso had a uh, unserrated edge; it was a smooth edge coin, but we still use them. I've got a guy in Mexico that makes it a point to scare them up wherever he can find them. He'll he'll. Uh, <laughs> He'll send up. He'll send up a sack or two. Because <laughs> you use very light strings, correct? Mm-hmm. You use eights. Well, we uh, used to. Okay. Now we're down to sevens. <laughs> what? Wait, what? We. Uh, use... Yeah. Well, we start when we started out. We thought that the the way to get a bluesy sound was to use the heaviest string that your fingers could possibly attempt to tame. And one after. Afternoon, we were backstage. This was early, early in the game. I was probably about 20, 21. And we happened to land a, a spot on a blues show. B.B. King was part of the lineup. He passed through the dressing room and spent some time, you know, sharing stories. And he spotted my guitar in the corner and he said, oh, yeah, he said, uh, let me have a strum. And he picked it up and uh, he played a few notes and he looked up at me kind of quizzically and he said, Strings are a little heavy, aren't they? And I said, well, <laughs> Vivi, isn't that, isn't that the way to get those strings? He goes, well, I'll, I'll do you a favor. He said, they've got a thing called light gauge. He said, why are you working so hard? Oh, boy. <laughs> and at that moment, I was able to uh, lay my burden down, and we've never looked back. We went to uh, the lightest, at the time, the lightest gauge that was being offered were eight we played eight through 40 and then our association with one of the great string manufacturers ghs out mm -hmm. of battle creek michigan we spoke with a couple of the organizers and um, one of the machinists took our challenge to create a seven and after some tinkering and tweaking of their uh, wire drawing contraptions they successfully created the seven so now we're really in uh, featherweight <laughs> It's great. They play in great. I'm sure they do, but you don't break strings? Well, they have a resiliency just due to the nature of these guys that know how to create a great alloy. That's amazing. They've got a, they've got a stretchy quality that has actually helped eliminate a lot of string breakage, which is rather phenomenal. You would think with such light gauge uh, wire, it would be prone to snapping or 
or just breaking it right out. Stretch. Okay, so you use the peso. Have you ever met up with Brian May from Queen, who uses a British sixpence? Have you ever traded, oh, yeah. co- traded coins? Uh, we signed just last week. We closed the European tour in England. We met up at uh, Castle Donington for the Download Festival. Uh-huh. And uh, we had a big laugh over that. He said, uh, yep. He said, uh, uh, I like the English coin. He said, uh, when you can get them. And I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, I'm still waiting on my paycheck this week. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. Yeah, he's a funny one. Now, I checked out the, the recent website from you guys, and historically, Frank Beard, your drummer, was always the guy without a beard. Yeah, but, he he, but, ba- he bailed out of the whisker growing contest early in the game. I think he's the lucky one. He can still go to a shopping mall without being recognized. But I'm seeing a bit of a goatee on him now. Oh yeah, we uh, so what, Dusty uh, and I up, find, What's up with that? Well, we finally posed the challenge. I said, you know, we've made much of the fact that uh, you're the clean shaven one because you've got the name Beard. Yeah. And I said, would it be too much to? Uh, to, to give it a test, and he said, well, he said, it's a happening fashion. And I said, well, we've never been uh, known as uh, clothes horse, uh, horses or uh, fashion editors, but he said, sure, he said, we'd like, to, we'd like to give it a show. There you go. You have so many guitars, so many to talk about, but there's two I want to ask you about in particular, and one, of course, is the famous Gibson Modern. Oh, yeah. Now We drug one out. Just recently added uh, what we think is a Modern back in the lineup during the show. Okay. Uh, It's created quite a stir. Uh, I've been bombarded with questions. You know, someone said, well, is it real? And could it be the one? Or there's still such a mystique surrounding what, what little is known about this crazy guitar. And unfortunately... Most of the uh, old guard at Gibson that might have had any knowledge of that particular era, there are some peculiarities from, I guess it was 1957, Gibson decided to, they decided to manufacture some eye-popping examples for the Chicago Music Fair. It was either 57 or 58. There was the first appearance of the light-colored instruments called Karina Wood, right, which resulted in the Flying V, the Explorer, which I also think was predated by another odd one, Explorer shape called the Futura, and then uh, the third in the pack was supposedly the Modern. I volunteered to uh, eke out a good opinion from one of the go-to guys, George Gruen. Yep. Who knows it more than most, and uh, he knows things inside and out. Well, we sat and looked this thing inside and out, and uh, without destroying it, we, we tried to pry under the hood, so to speak. And at the end of a four-hour examination, we buttoned it back up. He grinned, and I grinned, and I said, I ain't saying. And he goes, well, I ain't saying. <laughs> he said, we still don't know. The good news is that both of us concurred that it's uh, it upholds that uh, wonderful, remarkable period of manufacturing production that was rolling off the line during those great years, 57, 58. 
59 and 60, I think. They truly stand as uh, perhaps the zenith in electric, and well, all guitar production that was coming out of Gibson at that time. Hopefully you'll be uh, leading me down the path to speak about Pearly Gates, our true favorite. Okay, I was going to ask you about Pearly Gates. Yeah, Pearly Gates somehow seems to possess, it's got a magic that is absolutely over the top. In fact, Pearly Gates possesses such a sound that it stimulated my interest, and we started looking for something that sounded like it. I uh, uh, mistakenly thought originally that any guitar with two humbucking pickups would be the end all. But as we discussed earlier, every guitar having a little bit different characteristic. Pearly just happened to have rolled off the assembly line with the right wood, the right amount of glue, the right combination. All every, all things came together in that particular instrument that just made it a magical piece of work. Uh, presently, Gibson has decided to create their tribute to Pearly Gates, and next month, July of 2009, this year, will mark the uh, appearance of a limited edition, a tribute to Pearly Gates. And I will say that in today's uh, highly debated contest of does anybody make a, a playable instrument that wasn't produced in the 50s, they have managed to analyze and evaluate so many of the disparate elements that uh, we suspect make Pearly Gates the great guitar that, that it is. They spared no uh, time or energy by pulling out measuring devices and photographs and angles. They've got all the, the correct curves. All of the shapes are going. It's just, it's just splendid. It's going to be a great, great instrument. I take it you're playing some of the prototypes on tour? Yes, the first of which was delivered to us in uh, in Europe just last week. It was hand-delivered for a final uh, evaluation, and it was great, and we're, and we're using it. One thing I don't hear you talk a lot about, or at least a lot of people ask you about, because you talk about guitar so much, is what is your amp setup? What kind of amps are you running these through? The amplifiers setting has not changed significantly since we started uh, this crazy outing. Uh, as I mentioned, ZZ Top celebrating their fourth decade together. The backbone has been uh, reliant upon uh, the great work from Marshall. Mm -hmm. And although Marshall has continued to keep pace with certain changes here and there, we're still banking on uh, Marshall for their great sounds. They issued their solid-state version. It was the first entry into the field that left the vacuum tubes on the bench, but knowing the uh, keen ear and the keen sense for great tone, uh, Marshall came up with a, a solid-state instrument that, or solid-state unit they called the valve state, which I guess that was kind of their play on words. Here is a solid-state device with a valve-like tone. And they're so loud and so robust, but they're so roadworthy that we've managed to uh, keep them going all along. 
the the problem was the general public didn't quite like uh, the idea of Marshall leaving uh, the vacuum tube behind. Right. So they, they didn't make very many of them. They're quite rare. One latest guitar I have to ask you about is this brand new Fender Custom Shop Esquire, which looks completely crazy. Tell me about it. Oh, yes. <laughs> that thing is something else. We uh, worked quite closely with uh, the guys at Fender, both Mike Lewis and Mike Eldred, some of the guys in their uh, rather remarkable custom shop. As they knew, uh, we had a fixation for the Fender Esquire because of its simplicity. They said, well, we're not going to disturb the simple quotient, but right. we are going to try something a little uh, maybe visually appealing. And, brother, they went over the top. This thing is insane. It but looks it, crazy. <laughs> It it uh, it plays like melted butter and it sounds great. They they uh, once again here's an example of the guys that are doing it in contemporary times and uh, doing it quite nicely, brother. It looks like a a car that's been dug up from underground or something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. In fact, right a, a car that's been dug up underground right across the Mexican border. Exactly. Yes. You got the skulls. You got the dice. You got the whole thing there. It's how how's this thing sound on stage? Oh, it's fine. It's uh, got a strident and robust performance. Uh, it's loud and and I'm trying to determine what area of the of the spectrum the frequency range really jumps out around i don't know four or five k 400 500 and i don't know if it's the pickup we don't know if it's the the body but we'll get to the bottom of it sooner or later one last question you know we we did talk a little bit about the new record you're doing how would you kind of describe it conceptually because you're working with rick who does like to go more retro is this going to be more of a return to zz top in the 70s bare bones blues sound i would say so uh as rick rubin shares the initials rr i believe he likes rough and raw <laughs> <laughs> okay well we would look forward to that well thank you so much this has been a a pleasure, and uh, as the old saying goes, to use another R, rock. <laughs> Dude, thank you very much. This is Joe Basso with Music Radar, and I've been speaking with Billy Gibbons. Billy, thank you so much for spending all this time with me. Si, senor. Have a good one. Take care now. Bueno. <laughs>